0: You wish plastic pollution would magically disappear? Wave your wand and everyone is buying secondhand? Alakazam and recycling is demystified. We do. Your hosts, Oakley J. Fast, a chemical engineer, and Sara Fuentes, a waste and recycling expert, are here to demystify the circular economy. Welcome to Trash Magic.
1: Well, it's a beautiful day here back at Trash Magic. We have the privilege of having Nicole Terrain, sustainable advocate for Redish, and Rich Crusay, a sustainable expert. Redish is a New York City-based, women-owned business providing reasonable food service packaging as a service to organizations with large dining operations. This is an incredible conversation for us today. Welcome, Nicole, and welcome, Rich. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having us.
2: Yeah, thank you for having us.
1: Well, I just want to kind of jump right in to first, Nicole, thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about what you do there at Dish.
2: Yeah, so my background is in advertising, mostly at social media agencies. I did that for about eight years before I transitioned to sustainability. And I was always on the account management client services end. So basically just making sure all the accounts were serviced properly and successfully and a lot of, you know, relationship building. So I basically just transitioned my skill set over to something I'm super passionate about. So at Redish, I'm responsible for client services. I also work in the education department, so helping kind of onboard our new clients, educate the employees get them kind of um, up and running and understanding about the different processes of reusables. And then I'm also helping Redish with events as well.
1: I love that. Rich, why don't you go ahead and enlighten us with what you do there at Redish? Sure. Yeah. So I'm the head of sustainability
0: at Redish. I joined in 2021 January. And since then, uh, it's been a lot of, you know, making sure Redish is measuring and uh, measuring its waste, measuring its energy, measuring its water, trying to be as sustainable a small business as we could possibly be. And then, you know, helping explain our benefits, our, you know, environmental and and human health and, and all the other
1: benefits to our clients and stakeholders. So that's the primary parts of my job. That's very important stuff. Well, I want to dive into this. What is Redish and what is the inspiration for the company? Would you, Rich, like to kind of dive into this a little bit? Sure. Yeah, Redish is fundamentally about reuse and
0: our founder and CEO Caroline Vanderlip noticed the the massive problem with single use food service products and and foodware uh, you know in restaurants and and everywhere else in New York City uh, a few years back and and decided that this is a problem that needs to be tackled and it's also something where there is a business opportunity and so she that's those were the ideas that inspired her founding Redish and you know, the concept of Redish is fairly straightforward. It's it's sort of like a linen service or a uniform service where, you know, people deliver clean products. They collect the dirty products, you know, in a uniform service, it's dirty uniforms. And in our case, it is food products like clamshells or soup bowls or cups that people have used to eat their food and drink we collect those we bring them back to our industrial scale food ware washing facility in Brooklyn based in South Williamsburg we wash it sanitize it dry it and repack it to be shipped out the next day so that's that's the really straightforward concept you know of course there are a lot of little details <laughs> that go into it oh, I but bet. <laughs> that's, the, that's the overarching idea
1: yeah are you only located in the east coast or are you guys in other regions we started here and we are currently
0: only servicing the New York City metro area that includes parts of New Jersey Westchester you know most of New York City and we do have planned to be in two new markets new cities about June of of 2023 Ooh. so uh, you know the idea is that we are our, our goal was to figure out how to wash at scale you know to to provide this whole service you know, not for a few hundred products per day, but for thousands and tens of thousands of products per day to really dial it in and then to replicate what we've learned in other places. So we think we're ready to go ahead and do that.
1: I really am excited to hear about your expansion. I'm assuming these are some of the next steps for Redish. Are there any other next steps that our listeners should be on the lookout? All the East Coast listeners, please be on the lookout for Redish for your company's, you know, events and whatnot. But are there anything else that we should be on the the lookout? One thing I didn't mention that is important is that we we focus on serving
0: large food service operations, which is your corporate office buildings, your K through 12 schools. We do some, you know, TV and movie production sets, you know, a variety of other locations. So, you know, we're not currently servicing the restaurant takeout and delivery market. Our goal was to go to places where we could serve a thousand products per day at right from the start. And so, you know, people can look for us you know, if they're working at large office buildings in New York City, you might, uh, you can look for us there or, you know, ask your employers if they have a cafeteria, you know, look into reusables. But really, what else to look for is that we can wash other things beside food service products. So for example, you know, we we set up our infrastructure to just wash a lot. And we started doing that in food service by offering our own line of, of products. But we can also wash things that other companies might want to use as reusables, you know, whether it's grocery stores or consumer packaged good products or or other things. So that's sort of the next step for us is expanding beyond the food service. And we're already, you know, having conversations with companies that might be interested in doing that.
1: That's really enlightening. Now, since you brought that up, I just want to kind of bring up the clamshell product that you guys offer. What are the clamshells made of? What material? All of our products are made from 100%
0: polypropylene, FDA approved and made in the USA. They're all certified by uh, Ecolab, which is a large ware washing. They They make dishwashers and all sorts of other things. They were certified by Ecolab for a thousand washes through commercial dish machines.
1: Now, manufacturing is the largest carbon impact. How does Redish reduce the carbon impact of life cycle? When our CEO first founded the company, one of her first questions is, you know, what
0: products should we use? And she spent months, you know, looking at all the products that are available on on the market uh, and evaluating them on more than 20 different variables you know and one of those variables is of course you know life cycle greenhouse gas emissions so when you you look at the most common things out on the market polypropylene is is the lowest Uh, overall carbon footprint you can get, I believe, for any reusable product. So compared to ceramics or glass or stainless steel, et cetera, et cetera. So choosing polypropylene to begin with was how we reduce that carbon emissions footprint. And then, you know, they just have to be reused over and over again. So that's the next part of it is just making sure they're reused over and over again, then ensures that the life cycle footprint is not only smaller compared to other reusables, but also smaller compared to single use products.
1: I always get these questions when we're out doing surveys and audits around the compared idea or the concept of compostable products that are going to break down potentially. And then the, you know, a product versus a reusable product. Can we kind of dive into this? Can you talk about your product compared to compostable products? And is it more of a a band-aid to use compostable products or is it a solution to use reusables?
2: Essentially, we like to say the compostable Packaging materials is probably like the worst thing that's happened to us sustainability nerds <laughs> because it is perceived as a viable substitute, an eco conscious substitute to single use plastic or just single use in general, but it's not. You know, there's a, a lot of reasons for that. If we look at the whole, when we talk about life cycle analysis, there is a lot of resources that go into compostable packaging, um, sometimes more so than a single use. Plastic container. So when people see the single use plastic clamshells and they see a compostable, sometimes it's even more energy intensive and resource intensive to produce the compostable, which quote unquote, you know, biodegrades or breaks down in a compost pile or in a landfill, that's the first part is just the upstream process. And then on the downstream process or its end of life, compostables are only really made to break down, especially the packaging that we see in food service products publicly. They're only made to break down in a commercial compost facility, which means the heat has to get to a certain point in order to really break down that packaging. It's very different from like a food waste or or yard waste kind of thing that is easier to break down in compost facilities or in a backyard compost. These products were not meant to be in a backyard compost pile or even in a community compost situation. and It's meant to be commercial, and in the commercial end, there are very few facilities that can actually do this properly and that actually want to accept this type of material.
1: You are absolutely correct. We do extensive research at Smart Waste when we're looking at programs around these compostable products, and it's almost... It, You know, some of them are viable, you know, the ones that are made from bamboo and not recreated or reformulated, you know, chemically, so to speak. These products tend to break down substantially, you know, easier and and more naturally. During this conversation, we use the term life cycle. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what this life cycle term means for our audience yeah, thanks for asking that. It's,
0: that's something that folks like us use all the time and, and sort of forget that it's not out there in, in the public lexicon. So- When we talk about the life cycle of product, you know, it's similar to the life cycle of a person, right? We're born, we live our life, we die. And that's the life cycle. In product terms, you know, the product's birth, let's take a plastic product, for example, you know, its birth is kind of when you extract petroleum products from the ground, and then they're processed into plastic polymers. And then those polymers are used to make, you know, injection molded into plastic products that are used, transported, you know, many, sometimes thousands of miles, and then used for a few minutes. And then they spend the end of their life often in the landfill, or hopefully a small percentage of them are recycled. But hopefully most of us humans have a better end of life compared to the landfill (laughs) (laughs) product. Uh, But yeah, so plastic doesn't tend to break down in landfills. It stays there for a very long time. And when we're talking about the life cycle analysis, that analysis really looks at the energy resources and everything else that goes into every phase of that product, you know, so, you know, everything that's before we use the product is usually we talk about upstream, that means, you know, the diesel fuel used to extract product uh, materials from the ground, you know, through the transportation energy, through the the energy used at the factories that process materials, you know, all the way through transporting a product to the landfill. So if you added up all of the energy throughout that, that would be the life cycle energy use or the embodied energy use of that product. So Hopefully that kind of gives a better idea of what we're talking about with with the life cycle and the life cycle analysis and and energies and greenhouse gas emissions aren't the only things measured, right? Water use, you know, pollution from factories, there's there's many variables measured in in life cycle analyses.
1: This really brings up a critical, I think, perspective for consumers, because oftentimes we're not taken into consideration. And I'm just putting myself in there as an everyday consumer around, you know, the lifecycle analysis of the products that we buy and the responsibility of, you know, whose responsibility is it to, you know, assure that it's going to be handled appropriately Right. I would like to go on to the next question. What is your experience of trash magic? Can both you and Nicole share with us your experience of trash magic? This is something that we always ask everybody on our podcast. What is your experience of trash magic? Before moving to Brooklyn in twenty seventeen, I don't think I really had many trash
0: magic experiences, but I'll say after moving to Brooklyn, I live in South Brooklyn, a Bay Ridge neighborhood for anyone familiar with the area, and people leave a lot of Treasure on the sidewalks, either when they put out their trash or, or also just to put out for other people to use. And so numerous Trash Magic experiences in the last several years. My favorite one is is this $50 bike pump I found leaning up next to a, a trash bin on the sidewalk. And it's just it's just the hose was had a little hole in it. And I looked up online and, and I could order a replacement hose for, I don't know, 10, 15 bucks. So I did that. And then I had a brand new, basically $50 bike pump. I felt so good about it. <laughs> I love stories like that. <laughs> Nicole?
2: A couple things on my end. I mean, I would say my whole lifestyle and my apartment, for example, is an example of trash magic because pretty much everything piece of furniture that's in here right now is secondhand. And I'm a big believer and follower of the secondhand movement. And I I do want to just take a quick opportunity to talk about trash magic as it relates to, you know, how we can make individual lifestyle changes to you know, impact positively climate action, take climate action and impact climate change in a positive way. But um, it also is about going beyond yourself. So, thinking about ways that you can make trash magic happen in your community, ways that you can get involved in legislation and, you know, signing petitions, joining local community groups, going to rallies, getting on newsletters for organizations that are giving you the materials that you do need to make an impact because, you know, we need to make an impact on an individual level. We need to get into our communities and then we need to get legislation passed in order for us to really make a dent in climate change.
1: You, you're speaking to my heart, Nicole. You are absolutely right. Trash magic, this concept of making an impact individually is dynamic. You know, sometimes as an individual, we might feel like we may not make a big impact. But as an individual, especially in your legislation, in your community, I have stood in line at, you know, City Hall advocating for, you know, ordinances to change. And sometimes as a citizen, we forget that we have the power to do those things. So thank you for bringing that up. Where can our audience find Redish?
2: So you can find Redish. You can visit us on our website at www.redish.com. Definitely follow us on Instagram. We are redish underscore co. And then on all of our other platforms, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well at the moment.
1: So Nicole and Richard, please share with us your one call to action for our audience.
2: I think the biggest call to action is we need Redish to get into as many places as possible. So if you are a consumer, if you work at a corporate company, you work in a school, you work anywhere where food is served at scale, and there is some type of cafeteria service, please reach out to us and let us know. We would love to get connected to the the powers that be within companies and, and get in there as much as possible. So the biggest thing you can do is advocate on a personal level and let your company know that you want to see reusables in your cafeteria.
0: My one call to action is is sort of a repeat of what Nicole said just a little bit earlier, because I think it's so important to call your, you know, local politicians, your legislators, uh, you know, learn about the problem of single use, not just in food service, but for everything, you know, we have a massive waste problem, and it is related to climate change and everything else. And just call your local politicians or write them emails and let them know that you're concerned and that you want to see, you know, less waste and, and more reuse and more activities related to the circular economy. I think, you know, uh, I think that is one of the highest impact things we can do. And as was mentioned earlier, we kind of a lot of the times forget about that. So I think it's extremely important.
1: Nicole and Richard, it's such a pleasure having you today on Trash Magic. We appreciate you taking time to share with us about Reed dish Thank you again for being here with us.
2: Yeah, thank you for having us and asking us. We are looking forward to hearing it.
1: Yeah,
0: thanks so much. This was a, a pleasure and I uh, look forward to hearing it as well.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find us on Instagram at Magic underscore podcast. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Smart Waste. SMART stands for Save Money and Reduce Trash. Our values are people, circularity, and transparency. We can help you save money while reducing your landfill waste. Find us at smartwasteusa.com. See you next week.